Hello, folks. I just wanted to let you know that I am taking a break from this podcast. I am not recording. I'm deep in the uh, back end, uh, working on season three. So I'm retooling, uh, planning, figuring out what this podcast is going to turn into in the new year. So please stay subscribed if you're interested in learning about that. But otherwise, uh, just just uh, hang on because it's coming. Uh, I want to give an update on the book. Chapter 5 just came out last week. Uh, chapter 5 is all about, uh, it's called Improving the Design of Actions. The thing that um, I guess this chapter is emphasizing is that People say that functional programming is about pure functions, programming with pure functions. But I think that sells it short because I think functional programming, functional programmers have a lot to say about actions. We, because we've identified them, uh, we know what dangers lurk inside you know so we uh we know how to work with them a lot better uh, we develop tools um so i mean just as an example um we would talk about uh whether you have a transactional state you know if you have mutable state is it transactional like what are the characteristics of it and we do that a lot more than object-oriented programmers, I would say. Um, we have a lot of tools. So because you can't get rid of actions, uh, you should at least have them somewhat well-designed. And the idea behind the behind Chapter 5 is that, you know, in Chapter 4, we extract calculations from actions. And you do that by identifying the inputs and outputs to the function. What are all the things that this function uses to produce an answer and what are all the answers it produces? Because a pure function, a calculation, will only have arguments and return values as uh, its inputs and outputs. And I'm calling those the explicit inputs and outputs. Uh, that's thanks to Chris Jenkins for this idea. Um, and so then there's all these implicit and explicit ones that exist in actions. So if you just replace all the implicit ones with explicit ones, then you've got a calculation. So it got me thinking that another thing we do is even if we can't get rid of that last explicit input or that last explicit output, having fewer or sorry, implicit, I said explicit. We can't get rid of that last implicit input. Having fewer implicit inputs is still better, right? It doesn't cross the line into calculation, but if you have an action that only has one implicit input, it's better than an action with two that you know does the same thing. So that is the idea in, in chapter five. We, we go through, we uh, have the code examples and we 
uh, uh, systematically look for implicit inputs and outputs and try to reduce them. And the code is getting you know more and more functional as we go along. Um, little secret, this is an exclusive. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. The chapter six is already written. It's already been, you know, it's ready. It's ready. Um, uh, there's a, a schedule. The publisher has a schedule for when chapters go out. And so at some point, uh, they're going to decide. I don't have any, I have no idea how it works. Um, I mean, I have some ideas, but it's it, it's the kind of thing where I think it's really just some people are like, hmm, I think it's about time. So um, I don't know what's going on in there, but chapter five just came out. Uh, chapter six is ready to go out when Manning, the publisher, decides. Uh, and chapter six is all about immutable data. So... Uh, we go through uh, how, you know, basically in, in great depth, how to do a call by, a call on read and call, uh, sorry, copy on read and copy on write. And um, it's, a, it's a good chapter. Uh, it, it talks a lot about why this is important and um, when to use each one. Uh, and now I'm working on chapter seven. Uh, it's this one. This one is tough because it's a it's more of a design uh, chapter. It's the last chapter in the part in part one, and so woohoo! When I finish this one, the whole first part will be done, the first third of the book. Um, so I'm excited about that. But just want to tell you, uh, chapter seven is about stratified design. Uh, it's all about uh, looking for layers of meaning in your code and how, you know, if, if if the layer structure doesn't look very neat and organized, how to go in there and uh, and manipulate, manipulate it so that it is neat and organized. So it's design in the sense of, um, you know, one thing that we have to deal with since we don't write programs once and never touch them again, we maintain them for, you know, the life of the business. Um, you need to, you need to arrange things so that the things that will change frequently, because, you know, you're experimenting, you're learning how, how does free shipping work? How does, you know, you, you want to be able to change those things. Um, so you want those to be easy to change. And then some things you want to say, okay, this is good. It's done. Let's make it so that we don't have to change it so much. Uh, and because you're going to have stuff like that, that's, you know, other stuff is built on top of. So, uh, how do you arrange that? Because if you look at, I mean, it's all about the call graph, what functions call what functions you just draw that all out the stuff at the top, the stuff that nothing calls like the very top, that stuff, since nothing relies on it, can change very easily, very cheaply. You can just rewrite it. Nothing, you know, you don't even have to have the same contracts and stuff because nothing calls it. Now, the stuff at the bottom can't change that easily because all this other code is built on top of it. So if you change it, even if you, 
you know, there's a possibility of, of introducing a bug. Maybe there's some contract that you're now violating, but even then you're just, it's just might just be a bug. You just made a mistake. All of that has consequences. Uh, and so that stuff should be harder to change, right? And so now you have this nice stratification of going from easy to change at the top to hard to change at the bottom. Right, so you can you can choose where things go, which is um, which is great for maintenance. Um, the other thing we talk about testing, what stuff is the where 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 would you want to spend your testing budget if you have a limited budget? Of course, you know you, you could say yes, I want to test everything, but come on, what do you test first? Right, if if you have all this code, where do you spend? Where, what's the most the best bang for your buck? And um, the tree kind of guides you there. Um, the the same the the answer is at the bottom of the tree. Cause so much stuff relies on it. You want that to be more robust. Your tests aren't going to change. They're going to change just as frequently as the stuff at the bottom. And so when you write that test, it's going to last a long time. Whereas if you write tests for stuff at the top, you know the advantage of writing tests for the stuff at the top is you are testing a lot more code you are exercising a lot more code right because the stuff at the top is calling stuff below it which is calling stuff below it so it's it's exercising more code but it's also going to change more frequently so that test you spent you know two hours writing that test and now you're gonna have to change the test too right so it's probably better to focus on the bottom of the tree uh, and then reuse. Uh, the stuff at the bottom is just more reusable. It's already being used uh, multiple times. The stuff at the top is not being used. So again, stuff at the bottom is more reusable. It can be used more uh, easily by other systems that weren't, you know, weren't weren't um, anticipated. Okay, so that's what I'm working on now. It's all about, you know, cleaning up your code, making it more organized, um, designing your system so that that works. Uh, it's kind of a preview of things to come. So every part, all three parts, have a design chapter at the end. And so part two ends with the onion architecture. Um, and then the part three ends with uh, reactive design, reactive architecture. And this chapter is setting up a lot of things that will be useful later. So the whole of part three is about domain modeling and, and data modeling and stuff. And so we're, we're going to get to that. Uh, idea of like how do you build this stuff that's at the bottom because the stuff at the bottom is usually your domain model how do you how do you really design that so this chapter is not really about like okay let's get in there and make some domain model that's going to last a long time it's mostly just about like let's move the code we have up and down this tree so that um, it uh, it has all the characteristics we want maintainability reuse that kind of thing all right that was just a little update um be just a reminder the podcast is going to go on hiatus until the new year 
Uh, so, um, just so you know, it's, it's me, uh, planning, uh, going, diving deep, figuring out what this podcast could be. It's like, uh, every year I, I seem to go into a cocoon and emerge as an, as a new, a new butterfly. Awesome. My name is Eric Normand. This has, I guess, been a thought on functional programming. Thank you for listening and rock on.